Welcome to SkyCast Episode 5, a podcast dedicated to all things The 100. I'm Brittany Perlman. And I'm Sarah McCabe. And today we'll be discussing Episode 405, The Tinderbox. Um, as always, we always want to talk about our feelings about the episode before we jump into the recap. So what did you think? Well, before I get into my feelings about the episode, I have to get into my feelings about Season 5. Oh my god, I know. I forgot. I forgot. Um, warning, I have been in Mexico for a week. I'm a little out of it. I am very tan, but I apologize in advance for my out of out of itness. And when she leaves me alone, I just kind of tend to spiral down the like theory <laughs> theory hole. So I have a lot of feelings about this episode. Um, I I love this episode. I think it's a bit plot heavier than the other episodes we've had, maybe except for episode one. Yeah, it is. But we had some really great character moments in this episode, and it set up a lot of what's going to happen for the rest of the season. Yeah, I feel like we have really hit the ground running here. We have exhausted all plan A's and B's and C's. (laughs) We are back to square one. Back to square one. At least we have the Nightblood solution that could potentially still work out. Yeah, but it's like so far away still that it's they still have plenty of runway to... They have to actually get to space. Which we will uh, discuss later on. So, um, yeah. yeah. Before we get into the recap, uh, we just wanted to take a second and ask you guys to rate us on iTunes. As you know, the more ratings we get, the easier it is for other fans of the 100 to find us. Um, and we'd really appreciate your support. So without further ado, let's jump into the recap. I think we should uh, start with Becca's lab because there's a lot to unpack here. And before I even get into the other part of the show this this episode, um, I have a lot of theories for this section that we got with Raven and Abby and Jackson. Yeah. So we start out at Becca's lab and we see Raven looking through the computer systems while Abby and Jackson are trying to figure out how Becca created this Nightblood. Mm-hmm. Uh, first and foremost, love this set so much. I'm incredibly excited to see this new like open airy space. Like even though we've had tech places like um, the Ark and Mount Weather, we've always had this weird sense of claustrophobia. Yeah, and dilapidation. I mean, like, everything always feels recycled, reused, repurposed, all the re's. And this is so shiny and new, and I'm not even going to address the fact that I don't understand how it looks so shiny and new when it's been there for supposedly 100 years. Maybe her drones clean it. (laughs) Maybe Bill Cadigan cleans it. Oh, God. (laughs) I'm not going to get into Bill Cadigan yet. I have a lot to say about him later in this episode, but a lot of eye rolling over here. (laughs) So um, in this scene, we get some really interesting backstory on Nightblood. So Jackson realizes that Nightblood was basically designed to protect people from the radiation emitted from the flame, while it also helps the human body not reject the AI. Uh, And we get some fascinating, a fascinating bit of of story that apparently Nightblood was originally created for this mining company called Allegis mm-hmm. or Allegius. Um, and it was, it was made for long-term space missions. So they would put criminals into hypersleep and give them night blood to stave off the sol- solar radiation. Um, is this basically telling us the plot for the rest of the season? Like it was so hidden in the background text while Raven was kind of flying around doing her hallucination spacewalk that it makes me think that this was like a little tidbit that the writers put in just for us. Yeah, no, I I think it was there for a reason. I I think they wanted us to, if not at first glance, catch it. Definitely on second glance, get it. Um, And I do think we are going to have to see some form of this play out as the solution. I don't know if it's going to be exactly like this, but I do think that all of the elements of our solution are here, maybe in a just different kind of way. 
Yeah, when I was watching this the first time without you, because you were gone, um, and I, I was trying to like both watch what Raven was doing and then also listen to what Jackson was saying, and it was kind of hard to hear because it was so far in the background. But I caught the word hypersleep, and I was like, what? <laughs> because like part of my theory for this whole season had always been to put people in like a cryogenetic chamber and freeze them for however long it takes until the radiation is done. Right. It was like a kind of like far off. I have no idea how they'd get there, but that was like one of the ideas I had. And so I heard this and it just made me think, I don't know. It could still work. Okay. Especially because that's what they were doing with these supposed criminals who will lead us into our next point about them using criminals as test subjects again. Yeah. This was a such an interesting callback to season one again, like using criminals to sort of like do the dirty work right be the test subjects for the rest of humanity to follow um with of course the hundred and then also again in season two um even when the mountain men were experimenting on the grounders at mount weather you know there's always sort of been this question of like needing to use live subjects to Mm -hmm. test out these very like complicated experiments well i mean that's a huge question about the ethics of medical testing in general um, and, and one of the, the main stays of the ethical questions is you have to have consent. And, you know, with criminals using it, like when they sent the, the um, delinquents to the ground. And then also in season two, it's just about experimenting on people against their will. And that's kind of crossing a moral line that you really can't come back from. Um, so I'm just I, I'm really interested to see. This is kind of bringing up questions to me about Luna's role this season. Mm-hmm. You know, is she going to stick to her decision last episode to help them? And and if so, what if that means giving up her life? Like, will she do it? And if she doesn't want to, will they make her? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like if that's the only solution, I, I'm not sure if they would go through with it or not. I think that's we're going to see that play out maybe. I mean, I'd like to say that I don't believe Abby would ever take away someone's choice like that. But as we'll get into later in the episode, Abby's not quite acting like Abby right now. Right. And I also feel like for all of Luna's resistance, I don't believe she really, truly wants to condemn the human race to extermination. I feel like if it really was down to only her blood, she would give her consent. I think that's fair. And I guess it would also be the point of, you die and everyone else lives or you die and everyone else dies and I can't imagine anyone choosing the you know everyone dies right unless they were insane but unless Luna's they're not. like an Iago character who just wants chaos, <laughs> chaos in the world. everywhere so yeah I'm gonna be definitely keeping an eye on that for the rest of the season mm-hmm. so so far Abby and Jackson aren't having a lot of luck figuring out how Becca created Nightblood because Abby can't figure out how Becca got the protein chains and the solution to bind to the blood cells. As like a science nerd, by the way, I was loving this. <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. I, lo- I love when they use like real something that feels like grasp, like within my grasp of understanding. And I am not a science nerd by any stretch of anyone's imagination. But even I could like understand that this this sort of theory could this is practical. Yeah, it's like, I mean, it's it's still space science right. or like sci-fi science, but it at least kind of makes sense. Like you could see how they could get to this point. And I actually, I think I was listening to um, an interview with Jason or I read an interview with Jason where he was talking about all of the research that went into this season yeah. when it came to like molecular biology. So that was really interesting to think about, you know, how they created this 
this idea of Nightblood and how they decided that, oh, it actually has to be made in space and how it kind of makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, I love all the research. You can totally tell it pays off. And we see her for a moment, too. As I mentioned before, Abby's not acting like Abby. She barks at Jackson and says that they don't have time to let Luna rest because they have to figure this out as soon as possible. And this is only the first of several instances this episode that we get this kind of abnormal behavior from her. Yeah, we'll get into it later. Yeah. So while all this is happening, we see Raven basically hallucinating herself on a spacewalk. So she's just kind of floating through the lab. And at first, I like couldn't figure out what was happening at first. I I saw her feet leave the ground and I was like, is everyone floating right now? Like I thought maybe it was some weird quirk of this lab that they had figured out how to, you know, get zero G. I don't know. But we, we come to realize that it's actually a hallucination because Jackson and Abby look down and see Raven seizing in her chair. Yep. So we have been waiting for the other shoe to drop with Raven, and here we are getting our first taste of what's to come this season. Yeah, I mean, we knew, you know, with (laughs) – I feel like even though they're calling it like a superpower, it's really like magic, and magic always has a cost. Um, And we knew that her upgrade was going to cost her something. We just didn't know what it was going to be. I think we got a little preview of it last uh, episode when – you know, she like winced a little bit Mm -hmm. um, with the drones, but we had no idea that it was going to be something like this. Yeah, we didn't know how it was going to manifest, but I don't think even I could have realized, like, she has Becca's mind in her mind. Yeah. Not just Allie's, but Becca's. Yeah. I think that's what's really important here. It's like Allie's code, which includes Becca's mind, all embedded in Raven's mind, Mm -hmm. which is like three levels of inception. And it's going to save everybody. Right. Hopefully. (laughs) Unless she seizes. Unless she dies. And has a stroke. Yeah, we will talk about. So Raven wakes up from her seizure. And I love that we get to see like a little taste of Abby's and Raven's relationship, which Mm -hmm. we haven't quite seen as much this season. Um, It's definitely a different relationship than what she has with Clark. But it's still a mother-daughter relationship. And I don't think that Raven's ever had someone in her life who she kind of has that same interaction kind of with you know yeah and I love you know even from season the very beginning of season one um they were always so compelling because they think they relate to each other so well and their like love for science and um they're so different though in their approach to it and Mm -hmm. I just love that you know I always think of Abby as like collecting children like she collects Murphy (laughs) she collects Raven (laughs) um and I I just really like to watch her mother other children because Clark as you know, she's always going to be her true daughter, but like Clark is really self-sufficient mm-hmm. in a way that, and, and, and had two parents, really good parents in a way that Raven and Murphy never did. So I really like to see them with a mother figure who feels like a really strong mom. Right. Cause you know, Murphy and Raven are both also very self-sufficient, mm-hmm. but they've never had to not be, if that makes sense. Exactly. Whereas Clark, I don't want to say she's been coddled, but she's grown up in a loving family. Exactly. And so she's never... She's had that support in a way that they never have. Right. Until her father died, she didn't really know that hardship of, of not having someone there who for you who cares for you no matter what. Unconditionally. Exactly. Uh, Abby tells Raven that she's had a seizure, but Raven is adamant that her brain was operating at this level that she's never experienced before. And that is when she realizes that Ali Sashbeka was trying to show her her hallucinated spacewalk actually meant weightlessness like that's what she was trying to get at Mm -hmm. so apparently the night blood protein can't bond with dna on earth 
the only way it can bond is in zero G, which is why Becca went to space. And I thought it was really cool to hear that she didn't actually go to space to get away from Allie. There was this completely separate reason. It was it was to make Nightblood. Yeah, I loved that. I loved that revolution. And I, I love seeing Raven. You know that show Numbers? Yes. <laughs> where they're like kind of staring around and like calculating things with their mind and the camera's zipping everywhere. That's what happened with Raven. Yeah. We saw her like looking at each piece in the lab and like putting it all together. I almost expect to see like numbers flying around. Yeah, together. I thought we were going to get like a like um, hangover, like the numbers <laughs> flying over her head. Um, so she's doing this and she realizes that. So right now they they're kind of, you know, out of luck because they can't simulate zero G and they need to make night blood. And so the solution to that would be dot, 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 dot. Go back to space. <laughs> Sarah is so excited. I am so excited. And it turns out there is just waiting for them. All cushy. A ro- like a, a rocket. <laughs> a a rocket, rocket sitting in Becca's lab underground. What are the odds? What are the odds? <laughs> I, I, I'm speechless. <laughs> I like saw it coming, but still as the doors were opening, I was like, no, <laughs> no way. Uh, and it's like Raven's on some sort of euphoric high here. Yeah. I don't know why. Um, I don't know if it's because of like the way that the, her brain is tr- like processing her trauma um, or if it has something to do with Allie's code, but she's clearly like in this like sort of like euphoric disassociated state right she had I mean we knew from episode one that her great her brain had been upgraded but she hasn't had this same sort of response to everything and she's like manic until Becca's lab so the things in here are triggering her well no it was actually when she interacted with the drone on the island that's true but that was just her um like noticing the pain she wasn't she didn't have that same sense of euphoria no no but I feel like that was like the first taste and like the longer she's being exposed to Becca's technology and the more integrated she becomes with her systems the more overloaded her brain gets and I'm trying to figure out is it just because she's near so she's like in range of their systems or is it because she's actually looking at things that could help her and that's why it like like kicked her brain into overdrive like her neurons are firing I don't know. Um, but okay, ladies and gentlemen, theory break time. <laughs> Brittany's going to go make a cup of coffee. While Britt was gone, I was so bored. And so I just spent all my time trying to figure out where the hell this season could be going. So I basically come up with kind of two major theories that could overlap. They could not overlap. Um, but basically how Bill Cadigan or Cadogan, I'm not really sure. Uh, and then Second Dawn could be related to Allie and Becca. So I guess first I have to say the actor, John Piper Ferguson, there's no way they would have cast him if he was only going to be in some web video in episode three. I mean, this show really loves to recycle Battlestar Galactica actors, which makes sense because, you know, Battlestar Galactica is the perfect media precursor to the show. But he's he's been in a lot of things and I don't think that they would waste him for such a tiny role. So I don't know how, I don't know when, but guys, I feel like we haven't seen the last of good old Bill. (laughs) And that's not even to mention the fact that this entire season's tagline is a second dawn motto. You know, from the ashes, we will rise. Also, the title of the next next episode. episode. (laughs) So Bill Cadigan is important and he's probably coming back. I don't know in what form, either flashbacks or real time, which I will get to in a moment. Um... But Becca and Bill Cadigan, I just feel like they were alive at the same time. 
he, you know, back in that video, um, he was talking about technology being what's going to basically be the end of humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, before, before Allie's ended up causing the end of humanity. So he had to know. Yeah, I think that's probably true. So I, I feel like there's some way, like Becca and Bill had to know each other. And I'm thinking he was on Becca's team when she was building Allie. Could be, could be. I, I feel like he had insider knowledge of Allie. And I also have to wonder, you know, they had, they had mentioned originally that Allie got loose to release the bombs. They never said how she got loose. Was it just that she grew so powerful that she was able to kind of free herself? Or did somebody free her? And was it Bill Cadigan? Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, he has been creating this cult. Um, and he could actually believe it, maybe. I don't know. But I also think, you know, he wanted to raise money to, I don't know, buy a rocket. <laughs> I, I'm trying to, like, formulate my thoughts in a coherent manner and it's a little bit difficult because I have a lot of them floating around but I do think that Bill Cadigan was prepped for nuclear war he knew it was coming I'm not sure what his end game was but I do think that he is connected to Becca and Becca's lab I can't figure out why Becca would have needed a rocket because she clearly could get to space without one as she did um was it just like a backup rocket or was this something that once she had left for space, Bill kind of came in and took over her lab? I don't know, but that's good, that's cool. <laughs> the Remy's just like staring at me as I kind of like ramble on and She's on. She's like and asking on. me these as if like I have some insider baseball <laughs> knowledge, and I'm just like, I don't know. That sounds good to me, though. <laughs> I also think the drones that are protecting the island they had to be programmed by someone, and I mean, Ali could have programmed them to kill anyone who came to the island, but she couldn't have built them. No. So who did? It could have been Becca trying to protect the island from Bill Cadigan or from some sort of external force. Or it could have been Bill coming here to protect the island from hell if I know. I honestly have no clue. Uh, You know, I, I think that he could have repurposed them once Becca got into space. But I, I, I think it could make sense why he wouldn't want mutants on the islands if he was this religious fanatic. At the same time, I don't know if he was really religious. I really wish I was making more sense here. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think you're making sense. I just, I don't have any, I don't have any competing theories here. So I'm just letting you ramble. He's just so shady. What was his... You got that he was shady in like the two... I mean, I think he's a cult leader. I was going to say, I think we're suspicious of anybody who's leading a cult. And like, I mean, I think just the fact that you can lead a cult in the same way that we kind of find Jaha shady, it's just that personality of like being able to manipulate people into doing your will without even them realizing that they're being manipulated. Exactly. Um, I think it's possible that when Becca came to Earth, that Cadigan killed her and maybe started the flame religion himself. I find it really strange that this religion that was built around the flame and about the uh, Prime Hedda was also built around this sense of like hating technology um that doesn't seem to mesh with becca and then becca's his role as a scientist she seemed very like analytical and i can't see her ever coming down to earth and like touting herself as a savior no of course not i completely agree so bill might have actually been the one to start the flame religion whether he waited until she had died of natural causes and then kind of took over and kind of built this religion around it or he took her out early on and started his own thing. I'm not sure. 
Um, but he is pretty experienced in creating his own cult, so. It's true. It's true. And there's 13, 12 levels to his cult religion? 12 levels. And there's 12 clans. There are 12 clans. But there's also a 13th clan, Brittany. The new 13th clan. And there's definitely a 13th level. Because Bill Cadigan could still be around. Which brings me to my second theory. What if Bill is in hypersleep somewhere? He might be. I would love to see him in real time coming in. I don't know if he's been, he could be asleep for like the last hundred years or if he went to sleep sometime after the apocalypse happened. I don't know for whatever reason. I could, I'd love to see him coming in and kind of shaking things up with our group. No, it would be awesome. It would be very, it would be great to see him and Jaha kind of go head to head. I don't know. They'd either be best friends or they'd hate each other. I was going to say they'd be best friends. I can't wait to see him and Clark go head to head. Oh my gosh. That would be great. (laughs) But I I mean, they mentioned hypersleep earlier in this episode and it's been something that I've been thinking about for a long time. And I just think, I don't know. I want to see Bill. I know you do. (laughs) I know you do. Episode 408 is called God Complex. So I feel like we're going to get a huge Cadigan reveal here, be it a flashback or be it him in hypersleep somewhere (laughs) well we shall see we shall see right now we still have to talk about episode five okay maybe i should move on (laughs) so we have abby and jackson studying raven's brain scan and we see that raven is using a huge percentage of her brain but the catch is that she's also showing signs of a stroke So Raven is just like so excited to get into space as soon as possible to create the Nightblood. And the plan here being that Raven would fly the rocket and Abby would make the Nightblood. Um, We also discover here that the reason Raven's brain has been upgraded was actually because the delinquents used the EMP to to disconnect her from Allie. So like everyone else had been, as she put it, like properly disconnected, like shutting down a program properly, whereas they were disconnected, like pulling the power out while it was still running. Exactly. Like anyone who's ever operated a computer knows you have to go to the like shut down, turn off. Mm -hmm. You know, there are systems in place to properly shut down. You can't just like pull the cord and turn it off. Which makes a ton of sense. And I think we were all wondering, like, why was Raven's Grain quote unquote upgraded? And I love that they've included this explanation that is like, of course, Right. And that follows like all other like technological systems we're already familiar with. Mm -hmm. But you know, uh, everyone else was disconnected the proper way except one person. Who was that, Britt? That was Abby. (laughs) Yes. It it does give us some insight into why Abby has been kind of behaving strangely in the last episode and even the the episode before this where she seems to have some sort of sense that something is wrong on this island. And I don't know if she knows and isn't sharing or if it's just something in her, something in Becca's code that has kind of clicked with her and she feels the sense of foreboding that she can't place. And in this episode, we see um, that Abby has a, a really like careless approach to Luna. Jackson obviously wants to let her sleep. She's lost a lot of blood. And Abby just sort of like bulldozes right past that. Um, and I, it really reminded me of how un, it's very unabby like And it reminded me how Allie has no humanity at all and the way she approached humanity was you know only for the solution no matter what it cost individual human lives and it made me think maybe there are parts of Allie's code that are like surfacing in Abby's mind and sort of like influencing her behavior here right it might not just be stress here no it's it's not like Abby's just being glib it's like there are forces in Abby's mind that are causing her to to um like put aside her usual care and bedside manner for the more imminent purpose of finding a solution. Yeah, I love that theory. 
and I am really worried for Abby this season. I am too. Like I, I, I had never put Abby on a death list ever, but now I'm like, I don't think Raven's going to die, but does that mean that Abby has to die? Well, you know? I don't think we ever considered Abby safe, um, but I don't think she was ever like part of the hundred, you know, so she wasn't like somebody who was a valuable player that would like be lost. But I think that like in this sort of dynamic here with Raven, you're right. She's, she's definitely in trouble. Well, Abby tells Raven that her brain scan showed signs of a stroke. And if she keeps pushing herself, it's going to make things worse. Like she could actually die. Uh, Raven refuses to take it easy here when everyone needs her to figure this out. Because, you know, honestly, without Raven's help, everyone's going to die. Especially now that part of Becca's mind lives in her. Like, she's the only one who can find this solution. It's so nice to see Raven feeling useful again, too. This is something that, you know, that she can contribute that really emphasizes how powerful her brain is and how much she has to offer. It's like, in, in, in a way, her own death sort of seems to be the only way for her to feel worthy of being part of the group again. Yeah, and it really sucks that it took this, like, near-death experience for her to feel that sense of purpose. Yeah, but we sort of, like, knew that's what it was going to take. You know, she so underappreciates how special she is. Yeah, I, I still wish that she didn't have to have the fear of dying to feel like she could really contribute. I agree, but I do think that that's really sort of crucial to the core of who she is. Yeah. It makes sense for her character. I mean, I think having that like dire situation just makes her feel even better about it, sadly. Because, you know, it's it's like they need her or they will die. Exactly. (laughs) Um, so later, Abby sees Clark staring at the rocket. And this is like after, I guess, everyone else has gone to bed. And so Clark is down there staring at the rocket. We, as the watchers, know that Clark is not really there. No. So there's already this sense of like what is going on. Mm-hmm. So Abby goes down and she grabs Clark by the shoulder and turns her around. And Clark's face is just totally covered in boils. Ugh. And so scary Clark warns Abby that she's running out of time. Yep. Is this all just a manifestation of Abby's fears or is this something in Allie's code that's telling her you need to hurry up? I don't know. I think we'll find out though. I mean like I think it could be a mixture of both. I think it probably is. Yeah. I hope it is. If it's just a manifestation of her fears that's less interesting to me than this like added code that's kind of working in ways that we don't understand. Yeah. And through her subconscious, just like Raven's was. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a really nice parallel. Um, I'm also worried that this is going to, you know, Abby is clearly hallucinating here and I'm worried that she's not going to do as she promised Jackson and tell him of her hallucination in an effort to sort of streamline their, you know, their problem solving. You know, I feel like part of like the Abby that we know wouldn't want anybody to fuss over her anyway, but combining that with the like over you know, the protocol, the alley code that is making her so narrow-minded and, like, short-sighted about her, their mission, I feel like it's just going to reinforce the idea that she doesn't need to tell Jackson so no one is going to know that she's hallucinating. Well, I also have to think, you know, she doesn't want to worry Jackson, and it's not good for him to be worried right now because he needs to be working at his best. So him finding out that she's having these hallucinations is only going to derail what they've actually come here to do. So I do think she's probably going to keep it in, and I think that's going to have negative consequences. But I also don't blame her. I don't blame her. I wouldn't blame her if I if I didn't if I didn't if I wasn't concerned that it was the code that was forcing her to make that decision. Yeah. 
Yeah, it could be. I, I, I think that she's still somewhat in control. She just has kind of moments where she's not quite herself. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. And I love that this is another Chekhov's gun that goes off right away. Like, the show does not let plot lines stagnate. Not at all. It is so refreshing. Just sort of go right through them. Yeah. Which, uh, I guess, means that we can move on from that plot line mm-hmm. to the Arcadia plot line this episode, which is pretty intense. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, we open on Octavia riding a horse through the forest. She's, like, basically dying at this point, And she ends up kind of falling off. But right before she falls unconscious, who does she see but Ilian standing above her? Uh, of course. Why is Ilian here? I don't know. This is so infuriating to me. I, I don't know. When did he start following her? Did he follow her when, as soon as Octavia realized that Asgeta was, was coming to coming to them? Um, or did he wait until he found out from Echo that Octavia had escaped and followed Echo to Octavia? Did he know? How could he have anticipated that Octavia was going to like need him to bring her into Arcadia and that she would be his his way in. I mean, Echo thought that she killed Octavia, so it couldn't have been him finding out from Echo unless he just wanted to check to see if she was dead. But in all honesty, like if this were real life, her body probably wouldn't have been found, at least not anywhere close to where she fell because she would have died. (laughs) Right. So I feel it unlikely that he could have been looking for Octavia. Well, but I feel like he had to have been looking for her. I think she even says later on, like, there's no coincidence that he found me. No, no, I'm saying that's true. That's all, like, in the text. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying I don't understand why he's there. Yeah, was it just, like, the writers trying to kind of finagle him into place? Because he, he couldn't have anticipated that she would need him to basically carry her into Arcadia. No, there's no way. So I'm we're going to let that go, though. And she wouldn't have taken him with her in any other you know, circumstance because she knows how he feels about tech. Exactly. So she would have, like, been in a desperate situation where she would not have been able to, like, protest. I don't know. I hope that that gets a bit more explanation later on. I'm not sure if it will. It might just be kind of a yeah, dangling plot thread. we might just have to let that go. But I can't. I can. I can, let, pretty, I can let it go. Pretty small in terms of the other things that I've had to let go in this show. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Uh, Back in Arcadia, we see Nyla has apparently been drying meat for Sky Crew. But Nyla says that Sky Crew hunters are bringing her less meat. So we know what this means, but Nyla clearly doesn't. I mean, does she just think that she's helping them build up their food storage for winter? Maybe. She's pretty nice. I also love Monty's making moonshine for the grounders. Yes. This is awesome. <laughs> I do feel like Jasper would appreciate this. Yeah. I, I, I think this may be the most um, beneficial effort to the cause of uniting them. You know, <laughs> this is probably like the best thing the alli- for the Alliance. The health of the Alliance is the moonshine. Moonshine brings everybody together. <laughs> exactly. Monty is single-handedly contributing to the success of the Alliance all on his own. As he always As does. As usual. <laughs> And of course, we get Sassmaster Monty in this scene when Clark asks him if he's heard from Bellamy's unit. And he's like, yeah, of course I did. I just didn't tell you. Like, it was I, I was also annoyed with him. Of course, he hasn't heard from them. She would have been the first person he told. Exactly. And I like that this shows that, you know, not everything. They're not simpatico. You know, they're still sort of recovering from the events of the last episode. And, you know, there are a lot of more critically important things to worry about right now. And they're not going to let it interfere. But they're not 100 percent in sync anymore I do wonder if we'll get a scene between them kind of hashing things out at some point down the road I don't know if we will I feel like the show seems to be like moving past that plot line especially given that the list 
doesn't really matter anymore. No longer exists. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. But I, I do feel like they'll probably address it in some way, maybe not overtly, in, in another form. Even a line would yeah. be appreciated. Yeah. Um, so we see Nyla and Clark hug and kind of flirt a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's a little flirty. Uh, it seems like everything Clark did last season is totally forgiven. I, I guess, like, I wasn't expecting Nyla to still be so warm to her. And, yeah. of course, Nyla's, like, the most wonderful person ever. She's got, you know, the purest soul. So she's just <laughs> – she's lovely. So I get, I, I, I get it. But I wish – I wish it, it wasn't quite so – Easy. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. I also thought that, too. But I guess, you know, Clark did help her last season and, and did tell her that you need to get out before Allie comes through. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Maybe maybe that was enough. Maybe. Nyla's a good person. And Clark does make sure that Nyla charged the radio, that she, the radio that she gave her, which I guess shows that is Clark going to tell her about the apocalypse at some point? Was she going to here? I thought she was. There was like a, a whole pause here that she took where it looked like she was going to tell Nyla something really important. And I thought she was going to be like, listen, I got to be square with you because she obviously cares about Nyla and Nyla is a good person. But then she she does a, a double take in her head and she switches gear and just simply asks her about the radio, which will, I guess, eventually ensure that Nyla can get to safety in some way or another. But I I am curious if and when she is going to tell her. I mean, it's a little ridiculous because Nyla can't get to safety anywhere because there's nowhere to go. That's so, true. like, what's the point of having a radio unless you have another plan? I guess maybe she just wanted to get a hold of her in case they found the Nightblood solution. I don't know. I don't know. And I, I do – I'm – I thought Clark had maybe learned her lesson a little bit last episode about keeping secrets. Um but she clearly doesn't. And I, I feel like in this case, it wouldn't hurt to tell Nyla the truth. Oh, I disagree. I feel like if there's no way Nyla is going to be on the list, and we've already set the list, then what is the point of telling her that she has X amount of months to live if you can offer no comfort, no solution, only grief and worry? Yeah, that's a good point. I would still rather know the truth, honestly. I don't know. I think I would rather not know. Is this like a, a red pill like situation? Yeah, this like, is a red pill, blue pill. <laughs> I mean, I I think that, number one, Nyla can handle it. And I also think that Nyla would be good to have on their team. You know, Nyla knows a lot that they don't know about the forest and about, like, surviving in general. Um, and she's someone that I think people trust, like other clans trust. And, you know, telling a group of people is dangerous because groups can kind of cycle out of control. But telling one person is a little bit different because yeah. it's very much like a one-to-one interaction. I don't know. I wish Clark had told her. Maybe she will soon. I think she's probably going to find out soon when <laughs> she realizes that, you know, the whole arc burned and Rowan was here to, like, take his 50 spots. and <laughs> I, Yeah. Um, so, but before Clark can say anything else, Ilian comes in carrying a dying Octavia. And we see Harper here really affected by Octavia kind of bleeding out on the table. And I have to wonder why. Like, they've barely spent any time together. Yeah. She also, later on, you know, when um, Clark comes back after Octavia goes to the medical, she's, like, really concerned over Octavia, which is, like, two instances of that in the same episode. And I'm just, like, I was very confused by this. Yeah. Harper's no stranger to death. It's not like she's seeing death for the first time. She's not like like a little delicate flower. Yeah. I don't know if it was just seeing someone that she's known so long, so close to death. I, I, I don't know, because she's seen that before. I, and she also also not that close to Octavia. I don't know. Yeah, I, I 
I'm not quite sure why they included that. Not sold on that. Uh, but Clark does CPR and restarts Octavia's heart. But before they can carry Octavia to medical, she tells them that Asgata is coming. So she completed her mission, even near death. <laughs> and this scene perfectly illustrates why Clark is the leader. Oh, absolutely. You know, you can see, like, as soon as a crisis comes, who do you want on your team? You want Clark. She puts her emotions aside. She takes charge. She does what needs to be done. Um, and it's so wonderful to see nobody question her. You know, she says the command they follow. I mean, she's 100% like I would follow her. Oh, yeah. She's fantastic. She's wonderful. And this is like the, the Clark at her best, mm. you know? So true. So true. Um, and from the moment that we see Ilian left alone, I think we all knew he was going to do something horrible. He looks so shifty staring at all the tech around him. And I didn't know at, at that point like what he was going to do, but I was like, this episode is not going to end well. <laughs> no. And I you know, he's like a rat that's inside. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Miller's dad which we actually had to look up his name is David I feel bad always calling him Miller's dad because he like has a name (laughs) so I'm gonna call him David he basically decides that they're going to dig trenches fill them with hydrazine and then light them on fire when Asgeda gets here this is like like caveman tactics here (laughs) this is like like a roadrunner and the coyote Coyote. (laughs) monty's like there is no way we're going to risk setting the ark on fire when we've just spent a month getting it ready thank you monty i mean the hundred riders are not even trying to be subtle here oh no this is complete foreshadowing i mean they're just like it's the anvil on our heads right (laughs) like we are gonna set this ark on fire before the end of this episode yeah Yeah, you you that was cute guys you thought you could escape fire but (laughs) You're, you're not getting out of it. He escaped it one way, but it just comes the other way. Yeah. It's fate. It's fate. <laughs> so Monty tells Clark that they couldn't get hold of Kane, but the cargo truck was found without Bellamy or the poor red shirt kid, whose name was apparently Stevenson. Poor kid. No, Stevens. <laughs> Stevens? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't even know his name. It's his name not relevant. Not right. <laughs> it doesn't matter. He's a red shirt. Uh, so Clark knows that something has happened, but she cannot for the life of her figure out what it could be. I mean... Does she think that Marcus was being totally upfront with Roan, or does she know that he was kind of keeping a bunch of secrets from him? I feel like we were saying before, like, I don't think that Kane, who you so um, casually refer to as Marcus. Yeah, um, well, you know, I'm, I'm ch- channeling Abby right yeah, now. I was going to say, how well do you know him? <laughs> He's looking real good with that beard in this episode. <laughs> so I don't think that Kane and Clark necessarily viewed it as keeping secrets. I think they just didn't want to tell him until they were for sure. yeah. I mean, I I, I, still, I I still I see what you're asking, and I do think that she and Kane were on the same page. I hope so. I I do think that. I mean, I still think that Kane did the right thing because explaining science to people who have no interest in it is just like, you know, knocking someone on the head for no good reason. Yeah, and I think Clark would agree with him. So, but I I mean I I I'm a little surprised at how quickly it turned last episode when Roan found out that he hadn't told him about the Nightblood solution. It was like suddenly like, okay, we're at war. Yeah. So I, I guess I can see why Clark couldn't also make that mental leap if we yeah. as the viewer were surprised. Yeah. Um, but Clark knows that Asgata has to ride through the past to get to them. So she wants to ride out and meet them. Literally no one likes this idea, but then Monty realizes that they could actually use that. As a trap. (laughs) It's a trap. It's a trap. (laughs) So Clark has this half-baked idea, and Monty, again, turns it into a realistic plan. This is just another reason why Monty should have been on the list. We will never let it go. I will never (laughs) let it go. Um, Monty references Pike in this scene, which Harper is horrified about. And it's a great callback to last season, because I forget sometimes that Monty used to be on Pike's side 
even though it was more about his mother than his belief in Pike. And Harper was always against Pike. Mm -hmm. So we kind of see that a little bit of tension kind of climbs in here. Yeah, and I love that Monty is using a lesson that Pike taught him, but in a way that can save lives instead of take them. Yeah. Um, it's so refreshing. We're always talking about the Pike massacre in these terms of, of negative and loss. And it is nice that something came out of it that can be used positively. Even though Pike made a horrible decision in that situation, it was also, it was still a lesson. He learned, Monty learned the lesson. It just, he is able to apply that lesson to something that's a lot more beneficial to the group and to everybody, honestly. Which is why he should be on the list. He sh- I mean, he should have been on the list, TM. <laughs> um, so we see Asgata marching through the pass. And I wanted to take a second to note how amazing this show is for the attention to detail. Oh, my God. Um, Asgata's makeup, like the way they've done it, they could have done it so that it was perfect. I feel like a lot of shows would have, mm-hmm. but they did it so that it looked like it had been kind of like melting off all day. Yeah, like they had been marching through the woods all day. Getting in sweaty. The sun. It was it was perfect. Yeah, it was. It was and also touch. and also the guy, did you see the guy who um had the armor made out of license plates? Yes. Ah, the post-apocalyptic callbacks in this show are so good. They're so good and they never, you know, they never call it in. They're yeah. always on their A game. Yeah. They should they should all get Emmys. <laughs> all the Emmys. All the Emmys. All the awards. <laughs> um, so ahead of them, Clark stands alone in the pass, and Roan realizes that Sky Crew knew they were coming. So Echo is adamant that she killed Octavia, but is there a part of her that kind of hopes that she didn't? I think so. There's like, you can clearly see it on her face where she's like, well, she couldn't have survived, but I hope she survived. (laughs) We also, this is like an amazing visual here. One girl standing down an entire army, or at least as it looks from the beginning, we find out that that is not true. True. It's a trap and they have just walked into it. Mm Um, so we start with Asgata facing down Clark, and the archers aim at her. And then Echo realizes that Sky Crew are actually on the cliffs above them, and they're aiming their guns at Roan. Yes. So we're at standoff. This is what we're call- is called a Mexican standoff, <laughs> which I learned when I was in Mexico last really? week. <laughs> <laughs> um, Roan has another chip to play, though. It's a good chip. He brings <laughs> out Bellamy and Kane to the front for Clark to see. He knows who he's dealing with. He knows exactly who he's dealing with. I love this kind of chess match between them. You know, one person moves, the other person moves, and the other until there's no more chips left to play. And at this point, Clark is like, yeah, you know, that's a good one. You got me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, of course, we got to talk about the camera work. You know, it zooms right into Bellamy's face, cuts to Clark, back to Bellamy. Is Kane even standing there? He doesn't even exist to <laughs> Clark right now. <laughs> it's, like, very obvious who is in the most important The to most her. important to Clark. And oh my god, the look on his face. And he still at this point thinks that Octavia's dead. So he's still kind of living with that grief. And then just seeing Clark alone, he must have such a sense of just hopelessness. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can definitely see that in his eyes. He's such um, an incredible actor. He's incredibly expressive. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also makes me wonder if this would have gone any differently if Kane had taken had been the only one taken prisoner. And I Bellamy don't think wasn't. so. I don't think so. I don't think so either. But I do think this adds an extra element to motivate Clark here. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Clark asks for 10 minutes alone with Roan. And Echo tries to stop Roan, worried that, you know, it's a trap. But Roan already knows that it is. And they just walked right into it. 
Yeah. So I love seeing David here remind everyone in the scene that radiation is their enemy, not the Ice Nation. It's such a nice contrast from last season. Season We have come so far. Yeah, I mean, like, in the face of a larger enemy, the only real option here is to unite. Because infighting is just going to ensure that everyone dies, either by, you know, the sword or gun or by prime fire when it comes in two months. Exactly. But I don't know. Maybe this is the beginning of, of you know, future peace between them. They're setting the foundation now. I hope so. I mean, I hope this is, in a way, the writers showing us that Sky Crew is capable of learning from their past mistakes. I hope so. And I mean, I think that some of the other clans are a little bit further behind, but they also have less knowledge of the situation that they're facing. And so I, I can't fault them for that. Um, but I, I really want to see, I really want to see peace someday. Yeah. Maybe that's a, you know, utopia dream. But well, I feel like that's the last episode. I hope so. I have no idea where I see the show ending, but I do hope it's like we can at least breathe for a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Riley is still aiming at Rowan. He wasn't <laughs> around last season, so he's like really traumatized from ex- ex- his experience with the Ice Nation as a slave, of course, naturally. Yeah. Um, but he, he wasn't around last season to learn that, you know, we can't always just go with our own people like sometimes it's better to unite as one force exactly and you know sometimes killing even the person who poses as a a real threat to you is not the answer and is not the solution it's actually going to cause a lot more chaos yeah and so Roan's walking away and Riley is still targeting him despite orders to let him go and Monty tells Riley that this situation is a tinderbox you know one shot and it's going to be a complete massacre Mm mm-hmm Insert episode title here. Yes. Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) I love how this title relates to each of the three plot lines in the episode in different ways. I know. It's so great. I mean, you get, obviously, there's the tinderbox situation in this pass where, you know, one wrong move is going to cause a war. It's combustible. Combustible. Then it's literally combustible over at the Ark, (laughs) when, (laughs) when, as we'll talk about a little bit later, Ilian just totally burns it down. Yes. And then even when you get to the situation um, in Becca's lab, it's kind of like, you know, Raven and and possibly Abby are operating on such a kind of higher level, but, you know, pushing it a little bit too hard is going to kill them before they can find the solution. Yeah, you can actually, like, see the, like, like steam coming out of their ears. It's like, so they're, like, machines in their brains are, like, running so fast. Yeah, so it's like a very fine line to walk for all three plot lines mm-hmm. this episode. Um, also... Why is Riley here? I don't know. This is so annoying to me. I, I'm not, I don't understand how they could have let him come on this mission knowing what they know about what he's been through. I also feel like the show knows that too. Like Harper says it. Later on, Bellamy says it. If you're going to like recognize that this is, this is dumb, like it makes no sense. I'm confused why they would include it. I mean, I guess the only thing I can think of is that they were just trying so hard to like think of a plan and execute the plan that he didn't take time to like evaluate the mental stability of his soldiers I guess I mean that does kind of make sense but I still think someone would have been like maybe he shouldn't come on this trip yeah I think someone should have but I also think it's possible that he's been completely I guess mentally sane or sound through the last however long he's been there like a month um and it was just like this instance was really triggering to him and kind of flipped him back into that that mental state of like fight or flight. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know why he's there. I don't know either. Um, but in the past, we see Kane saying that Sky Crew must have known that Ice Nation was coming. And Bellamy realizes what that means. It means Octavia's alive. 
and you can just see the like you know his whole face lights up again I could I could wax poetically about how <laughs> expressive he is because Bob just Marley's like, facial muscle face like in his face. every emotion you can read on his face it's a me I've I've and rarely seen actors in be that. complete control of them yeah it's really great all the awards to him too <laughs> all the Emmys um, Sky Crew realizes that Riley is not in position like he's supposed to be, and Monty worries that he's heading to the cave to execute Roan. So, so Roan obviously is the king of people who made him slave, uh, and he thinks that if he kills Roan, he's gonna kind of set Asgata into a tizzy, and they won't be able to regroup. Mm-hmm. That's really not the case. <laughs> um, and now it's up to Monty to stop a war. Exactly. And this is really great of the show to see that development from season two when Monty hid in Mount Weather from the people who had come to kill him and he let them kill that, that woman who had been helping them. Yeah. Um, and of course, like, in that situation, there was not a lot that Monty could have done, but he was still really distressed to have hid when someone else was in trouble. Mm-hmm. And so it's great now to see him being able to take charge and act when there's something that he can do. Yeah, this is such a wonderful Monty, you know, central like season Mm -hmm. you know I love seeing Monty take center stage and really coming into his own and and being a leader really for the first time yeah I'm excited to see where he goes from here I think there's big things ahead of Monty I agree I agree so we see Roan and Clark reach the caves and Clark can't figure out why Asgata is here to kill them when Roan obviously knows that they're gonna die soon if Skyker doesn't find a solution to surviving the prime fire so even when they're enemies I think it's great that Roan really doesn't want to kill Clark. No, it's very obvious here that he's he's trying to avoid slaughter. Yeah. I mean, he specifically says, we're not here to kill Sky Crew. We just want your ship. We just want your stuff. Even though I think it's unlikely that Sky Crew would have given up the ship without a fight, I do think that if they had, Roan wouldn't have hurt anybody. Mm-hmm. It's true. And Clark here in this scene keeps saying that she's trying to save everyone, and Roan finally calls her out on it, which I love. Saying that, you know, you might want to save everyone, but ultimately you're still putting your people first by um, building the arc for you and not for us. Exactly. It's a great callback to Lexa here. I love how, you know, he he clearly says, like, Lexa rose above her loyalty to Tree Crew, even, you know, when she became the commander and united all of the warring clans in a way that Clark is not quite capable of doing that. And he calls her out on it. Yeah, and I mean, I think this also gives us great insight into just how hard that must have been for Lexa to accomplish. I mean, we've seen how much Roan has to fight and how tenuous the situation is. Lexa must have just, I mean, she she's even more powerful than I realized. Yeah, and I think, you know, we saw how good she was at that political maneuvering and, and what a special leader she was. I mean, she was really, really adept right but when we saw her last season she had already united everybody so thinking about the the effort and the like mental capability that would have taken to unite all of the clans to convince them all to unite when they had been warring amongst each other like Lexa was amazing man she was she was incredible she was an incredibly gifted person um and it's just like another reminder here that Clark is not Lexa you know in a lot of ways that's a good thing but in other ways it's not um and it just just shows how different they are yeah they each had their strengths as a leader and I think some strengths work better in certain situations than others yeah um and in this in this like larger situation of Clark trying to find a way to save everybody maybe she should be channeling more of Lexa maybe I mean she does she has been saying like we're we're trying to save everyone we're trying to save everyone and I do think she believes that I also think Rowan is right where he can recognize that she does have 
more loyalty to her own people. But I don't think that Clark would ever put her own people before everyone else. No, not if she could help not it. Not if she could help I it. I also, I want to give Clark, you know, a little bit of credit in that there's no way that everyone else would have allowed her to share their arc with the Grounders. Exactly. Like, like that would have been a battle that she would have lost. Right. Like Rowan points out, like, he's she's not royalty. She's not a queen. She can't command them and tell them what to do. Yeah. And Rowan basically says here, you have two choices. You can either tell your shooters to stand down and give us your ship, or you can tell them to open fire. So Clark yep. is, like, still desperately trying to gain the upper hand here, but Rowan is willing to sacrifice everyone in hopes of saving at least a few people. Yeah. Whereas Clark's not, honestly. <laughs> no, she's not willing to risk anyone. And she, she at least, I mean, she's trying so hard to just keep everybody alive. And it's a little bit heartbreaking because it's always an uphill battle for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, at this point, this is Rowan's only option, so he thinks. So I think he, it makes sense that he would be willing to die today because he knows that if he doesn't get the ship, he's going to probably die at some other point because he does not believe in this night blood solution at all. No, it's just magic to him. Um, Clark does mention that she was willing to save her mother to take down Allie. So it's interesting here to see her decide to stand down and sacrifice the few to save the many in a way. Or no, to sacrifice the the many to save the few, I guess. I got it backwards, which is why it's actually interesting in this. She's not seeing people as numbers as much. Like, Bellamy and Kane matter to her as much. And, 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 and you know, um, Monty and Harper and everyone who's around there are as important to Clark as these 50 people at the Ark who, you know, would be missing on their spot. Yeah, I think that she's taken all of the... We keep saying, you know, she keeps seeing people in sort of, like, numbers and faceless and this, like, big sort of population that needs to be saved. And this is really, like, I feel like she's she's learning. I think she's she's grasping at what we're trying to accomplish here, which is being worthy of saving humanity in an effort to save humanity. Yeah. And, I mean, this situation is very different from Allie and, and Clark... She asks Roan, like, when Allie came, she was not willing to stand down. Like, there was no middle ground here. Mm -hmm. But in this situation, there is middle ground. And Clark asks Roan if he'd be willing to share the arc. And this is why I love Clark. Because if there is a third solution, she will find it. Yes, this is the Clark that we love, that we respect, that we admire, that we missed with the list. Um, You know, when presented with two alternatives, you find the third. And I love when she does. And this was a perfect third solution. It was. To at least stave off the apocalypse for a little while longer. Yes. So they decide that they'll each have 50 spots on the Ark, and they sign the deal in blood. (laughs) No biggie. And honestly, this is probably better for Roan than just taking the ship, because he would have had no idea how to run that ship and keep them alive for five years. Maybe he would have taken hostages. Maybe. I guess that would have made sense. But then that would just cut down his own people who could come onto the ship. True. I don't know how many people they actually need to run it, you know? They only wanted, I don't know, two engineers, but... <laughs> right. Well, he, he doesn't even understand the technology, so he would never have thought of that himself. So yeah. your, your original point stands. Um, so we see Monty going down to the Ice Nation unarmed, and he tells Echo that Riley might be trying to kill Roan. And Bellamy here gets the confirmation that Octavia is alive. And I had to ask, did this plotline get enough weight? It was over really quickly. I think, in a, you know, like we're always saying, this this show does not stagnate their plot lines. And if that's true, then plot lines are going to be used up and they're going to be used up quickly. And if I'm going to appreciate it in all other aspects of the show, then I will extend that courtesy to this situation as well. And I, while I agree that it was very 
very short. I don't hate that it was resolved quickly. I'm glad that Bellamy doesn't have to suffer for too long. I mean, I, I do agree with you. And I think that it's, uh, you know, it shows the good writing on the show that they don't let their characters be less intelligent than they are. Mm-hmm. Like Bellamy would have figured that out. And I, I'm glad that he did. And I'm glad that he did it for himself. Um, but I would have really loved to see, and maybe maybe love isn't the right word, but I would have been interested to see how Bellamy kind of is forced to move forward without Octavia. Because we saw Clark having to keep going when Lexa died. And I would just, I, I would love to see how Bellamy, how that affects Bellamy's personality as he goes forward. Because Clark, you know, had a really difficult time in those, you know, mid-episodes in, seasons, in season three to, like, you know, keep going and, and separate everything out and still feel emotions. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I do think it's different, though, when it's your sibling. I just feel like that kind of grief is is the halting kind. I'm not sure Bellamy, Bellamy could have functioned. Well, to be fair, that's true. Bellamy's not Clark. Clark is able to compartmentalize yeah. in a way that I don't think Bellamy is. Right. I don't think that if if he hadn't realized that she was alive, that would have been so detrimental to his functional like capabilities he would not have been able to do anything yeah that's fair I can see that so I think in that in an effort to try and keep him useful the show had to show him had to have him realize that she was alive well he does and so that plotline has been cleared up um we we see Bellamy kind of in shock that they allowed Riley to come on this mission because I think Bellamy understands Riley's mental state in a way that the others don't and it's interesting to see him relate to this character in this way Uh, because I don't think we've seen him you know, make that connection with anyone else. Maybe Octavia in season three at the very end when he was kind of telling her that, like, we, you can't let revenge push you forward because right. you're going to regret it later on. Mm-hmm. Um, but it didn't work in that instance, and we see later on that this this plotline has a much different outcome. Exactly. Um, and I think that he sees stopping Riley as just one more way that he can atone for the things that he himself has done. Exactly. So Kane convinces Echo to take Bellamy with her to look for Riley, and Bellamy is convinced that he can stop Riley from killing Roan. Uh, uh, Bellamy's sass with Echo in this episode is so great, is wonderful, and like like at every turn, he's just so done with her. He's pissed. He, I mean, like <laughs> rightly so. You try to kill my sibling. I'm not gonna like you very much. Um, Monty ends up taking Bellamy's place as prisoner, and Echo tells our soldiers to kill Monty and Kane if she's not back by sunset. Poor Monty. Poor Monty. But I, I'm, like, so proud of him. I know. And, and he must have known. Oh, he knew. He I must mean, have known. You, you don't go down to the Ice Nation and they don't just, like, let you go, you know? No, he knew. He walked right into it. And for good reason. He wants to save everybody. Exactly. Um, Bellamy and Echo go off looking for Riley. And Echo asks him if he'd really kill one of his own people to let her king live. And this scene is one of my favorites of the whole season. I mean, we really get to see just how far Bellamy has come. Oh, I love it. I love the way that the show shows him how he can move forward in the same way that Clark does. You know, he can rise above the clans and treat everyone as people. And this is such a difference from what he, where he was mentally in season three, you know, where it was us versus them, grounders versus Sky Crew. You know, he has moved past this. Yeah, I mean, he tells Echo that Prime Fire doesn't care which clan you're from. Uh, it's going to kill them all. And he's willing to put everything aside, like everything that they've done to each other, he's willing to just set aside and find a solution to save everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and Echo responds to this saying that she's glad Bellamy will get to say goodbye to Octavia before Prime Fire comes. Do you think Echo has any, like, any belief at all that they're going to be saved from this? No. 
I know. I, <laughs> I, mean, I couldn't tell if she was basically just brushing aside the fact that like you you guys think you can find a solution and you can't. There, there is no solution. So I'm just going to continue to live my life until my life is over. And that, I think that, that seems to be her mindset right now. Just waiting for the end and playing her role. I think so. Which makes me kind of sad. Yeah. But also, I'm still so excited about her character this season. I know. I love her. Uh, Bellamy tells Echo that if she had really killed Octavia, he would be killing her right now. And Echo isn't phased by that. She just quotes Queen Naya saying, war makes murderers of us all. So it's interesting insight to Naya here. If this really is something that she used to say all the time, I mean, she she seemed so bloodthirsty, but maybe she wasn't always like that. Maybe that was what war turned her into. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, we, we heard about her or her father, so it would be um, Roan's grandfather, being this incredibly strong leader who gets his own fancy crown. But I, I have to wonder, like, maybe kind of growing up with that kind of parent twisted Naya in a way that she wouldn't have been twisted if she had grown up in a different life. I Yeah, I think it's really interesting to think about. And I love that um, – I love how dedicated Echo is to Queen Naya. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it wasn't just about her duty. It wasn't just about being part of Asgata. You know, she really respected her. Oh, yeah. And you can see that in every episode. I wish we could get a Naya short story. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Um, Bellamy and Echo end up finding Riley, and he is aiming at the cave as Roan is leaving. And Echo really is like ready to shoot Riley, but Bellamy holds her off. So we see Bellamy here using the horrible things that he's done as a warning to Riley about who he could become. And Bellamy, of course, knows better than anyone what anger can turn you into and the need for revenge can turn you into. Exactly. And, you know, Bellamy says that if Riley pulls the trigger, this will turn into a bloodbath. Riley will never be able to get it out of his mind. Um, He tells him, war made me a murderer. Murderer, don't let it happen to you. Which I love this quote. I love it so much. And we've been waiting to see Bellamy fully reconcile with himself what he's done. He's made some really good progress this season. Um, I think we have talked at length about his grief, where he is in his grieving and forgiving himself. But this isn't even about forgiving yourself. This is about being able to look at what you've done, say it out loud, face to face, in a way that that doesn't have anything to do with your own personal redemption, but like putting it back out into the world and making something positive again. Mm -hmm. Um, And you see that this is like the first time that he confesses his actions and this has a positive and real effect on somebody. And because of his words, he's like finally able to save people. Um, And he tried to do this with Octavia at the end of season three and she just wasn't ready to listen. So the fact that he could completely change Lorelei's mind here is a huge win for Bellamy, both for his own personal rehabilitation and for Sky Crew. You know, this is just like a monumentally charged scene yeah I I 100% agree I loved seeing this scene I loved seeing Bellamy kind of get this win yes this felt like a win it it was a win because you know had Riley actually shot at Roan again it would have been a massacre and it's not about keeping score because you know there's no way you can measure human life but he did save a lot of people today he did you know and that doesn't even the scorecard at all but it counts for something I honestly don't think he'll ever be able to even the scorecard in his mind. No. But I think that he is going to work every day to save people's lives. And today is a day that he did and he won. And he succeeded. So tomorrow is another day that he's going to have to fight more. But today was a good day. Agreed. I loved it. 
Um, and at, at that, Riley stops and starts to cry. Uh, and we also see here how much Echo has grown as well. I mm-hmm. mean, the Echo we knew at the beginning of this season would not have hesitated to kill Riley to save Roan. Not at all. I mean, perhaps it was what Bellamy said to her earlier, that it, maybe it affected her more than we realized. You know, maybe that they could someday reach a point where it's not about sides. I, I don't know if Echo really believes that, but I do think that she wants to believe it, and that matters. No, I agree. I think that Bellamy's words definitely had an effect on her, and you can see that immediately in the next scene. Yeah. Um, before we get to that, we're going to switch back to Arcadia right now, where Nyla is taking care of Octavia and Medical as Octavia wakes up. Before we get any further, Britt's going to just like sit here shaking your head. I have, I just have to say, <laughs> I love Nyla and Octavia. They're totally like my OTP crack ship. I don't think it's ever going to happen, but I do think that Nyla has the same like purity of spirit that Lincoln had. Mm-hmm. And I could just, I just feel like she would be so good for Octavia. I could see them being great together. Again, I don't think it's going to happen, but I was really excited this episode. When if, they it, were. <laughs> if that did happen, I would not be mad about it. I would love that. I just like, I don't ship it because I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, again, I also don't think it's going to happen, but I can't help it. <laughs> I want it so bad. I don't blame you. <laughs> um, Nyla tells Octavia that Ilian brought her here, and this is obviously not a comfort to Octavia. I'm like, first off, did they totally forget that Ilium was there? They just, like, left him in the, like, waiting area. I don't know. These people are stupid. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess they had bigger things to worry about. And how could they have known this, like, tech-hating grounder was going to come in and, like... some? And also, like, he had just <laughs> rescued Octavia. He seemed like a savior to them. Like, a good guy. Yeah, that's true. It is, like, a, a very much, like, it's you not, look like you're on our side right now. And we've learned that we shouldn't judge all grounders. That's like, true. We should be accepting of That's them. That's true. I mean, like, he's done nothing at this point to anyone else. Right. Be Innocent suspicious. until proven guilty. And he is guilty. But we, <laughs> we were know. suspicious. Our fears were confirmed as we cut to Ilian walking around with bottles of, I'm, I'm guessing, hydrazine, yeah. following the electrical cords down the hallway. Oh, Ilian. Oh, Ilian, what are you doing? <laughs> Um, Nyla and Octavia are searching for Ilian, and Octavia realizes that he would go to the server room where he would be able to cause the most damage. I'm, I guess I, I'm not, I'm going to let it go, the fact that Ilian couldn't have known what a server room was. No. I, I mean, like, I, grounders have no real experience that technology works, because they've never been around it. Yeah, I'm just going to, like, pretend like we're not Nick Picky and... We're going to let this one go. Maybe he was studying it. Maybe he was like studying technology to figure out how to like take it down. When kind of like, like become a- obsessed with the <laughs> thing that you hate. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like maybe there were, maybe there's a library in Polis somewhere. Maybe he was trying to figure out a way that he could destroy the, the tech at Sky Crew. Sure. Let's go with that. I, I, I'm willing to go with that. Yeah. Let's go with that. Okay. Let's call it. We're going to do that. Not a plot hole. We'll just you know, fill that in right there. Yep. <laughs> Um, so Ilian is about to light the server room on fire when Octavia and Nyla burst in. And Octavia says that, you know, no matter what Ilian does, it's not going to bring your family back. And as much as she really hates this ship and honestly would love to see it destroyed, she admits that, you know, they all need it right now. But Octavia wasn't in the City of Light, so to Ilian, she could never understand. And it's great how they intersperse this scene with Clark and Bellamy scene that we're going to talk about in a few seconds um, to really build the tension. We, we could tell we knew what was coming, but it was still, you know, very stressful. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's not this is not this is a very short scene and they chopped it up into these like little tiny pieces in order to increase the suspense 
and it's just like another um another way of sh- uh, the, the the cast and the crew are just experts mm-hmm. you know at storytelling yeah I mean I I loved here that Octavia can't fight right now so she is forced to take the cane way and talk somebody down yeah she's hobbled you know I we've seen her sort of in this like revenge assassin mode and that's sort of how she's like been helping Sky Crew um and when you take away her physicality and her ability to be violent you're only left with your words in a way that Octavia has never needed to rely on her words before and I love seeing how she handles that yeah I did think it really interesting that Octavia tells Ilian that like this isn't going to bring your family back and yet Octavia also knows that the things that she does won't bring Lincoln back like killing Pike doesn't bring Lincoln back and yet she does them anyway so I think that's probably why in some like subconscious way Ilian's not going to listen to her because she she can't make it work because she hasn't set aside her own need for revenge. Exactly. She's who is she to tell Ilian to set aside his revenge when she can't even do it herself? Mm-hmm. And I mean, Octavia also can't relate to Ilian's pain the same way that Bellamy can relate to Riley's. Right. She. I mean, she was a prisoner on this ship, but it was from external forces, whereas Ilian was forced into a prison of his own mind, which I think, in so many ways, is much more horrifying. Yeah, and also, you know, they've both lost people they loved, but again. A significant other is never going to be the same as your own flesh and blood. Especially when you have memories of killing them. Exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, like, I still, I I know what Ilian did was wrong, but I just, I feel so much for him. Yeah. He's just in so much pain and he can't figure out how to get rid of it. And he's so alone. He is. He has nobody. I know. I do feel really bad for Ilian. I did want to note that this episode has Octavia looking just like season one. I know. I love it. Is there any significance to that or is it just? I don't know. I think so. I feel like she's like sort of, well, I have two thoughts about this. The first is that she, you know, looking like she did in season one is sort of like a reset. Like I was saying earlier, you know, she, she has gone down a very different path than the rest of Sky Crew. She's been, you know, adopted by Grounders. She's sort of like become Indra's apprentice she's become an assassin and I think like her like their like very visual like signifier that she's like donned like sky crew clothes is a really interesting like way of demonstrating that maybe we're we're returning a new leaf I think that pardon the pun Octavia hit rock bottom last episode (laughs) (laughs) and now hopefully she'll be able to start moving forward and slowly emerging from this you know ravine that she's not literally a lot of puns (laughs) um my second point was that I love also the idea that she when she like shed her warrior cloak her assassin hood and all of her like weapons and daggers and stuff you know it leaves her exposed both in the physical sense and allows her to be more vulnerable Mm -hmm. you know in the emotional sense and she's using her words here and I just love that sort of dual representation I think it's great I mean, for anyone listening who has left their parents' house and has, like, gone off to live their own life, I think it's kind of the same feeling as when you come back to your parents' house and suddenly you're, like, a kid again and you feel like one. I do. And it's, like, hard to break out of that of that mode. Yep. I, I turn into a teenager when I go back home. <laughs> so in that same way, Octavia has become the Octavia that she was when she was kept prisoner. But not exactly because she's she's a different person. I mean, she's evolved so much. Yeah. But I think that being here still 
makes her feel like she hasn't moved anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and like I said, we all knew it was coming, but it still was a punch to the gut when Ilian drops the torch and burns the ship. Oh, it was really bad. <laughs> so this, I guess, brings up a really, a major theme for this season. You know, the dichotomy of technological advancement bringing both good and evil. Yeah, I love, I love these two opposing philosophies of tech that the show sort of puts forward. You know, there's like the Ilian side of things where he believes that technology is, is actually dangerous to, to humans and human life. Um, and he has real reason to believe that and then you have like the raven side of things that proves that you know when used responsibly tech can save lives tech is a good thing and these are two you know i sort of micro examples of this and i think like the macro examples of this are like bill kadagan who said in his speech that all of the great tech that humanity has created has eventually led to their downfall Mm -hmm. And on the opposing side is Becca, who clearly believed that advanced tech would be the only savior for the entire human race. So I I love how this show deals with these big themes in both micro and macro and sort of like plays on them and all these different, you know, ways and the dynamics. I just think it's great. And I love that you mentioned Bill and Becca together because even though you roll your eyes, there's something. I'm not rolling my eyes. I just don't have anything to say. Um, I do, I do love that, like, both of these philosophies are true, you know? Tech is dangerous if it's used wrong, but we also can't stop humankind from advancing, and tech can also be used to save lives. Yeah. And so it's just, you know, finding the right hands to, to wield it. And, and a balance. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the show does not, there's no agenda. You know, they just like exploring these questions. Yeah, they let you make up your own mind about things. Which is the mark of great storytelling. Mm Mm-hmm. Um... So there's an explosion from the server room. Don't know how Ilian gets away. I'll let it go. <laughs> there's a lot of Ilian plot holes. He kind of like ducks back into something, but it doesn't look very secure. I don't know. I'll let it go. Uh, Octavia and Nyla don't get out quick enough and are like blasted backwards. No burns on them, mind you. I'll also let it go. <laughs> Octavia is not having a great couple of days. <laughs> she really isn't. Um, but Ilian comes out of the smoke and saves Octavia and Nyla. And it just goes to show that Ilian does not want to kill people. He is just here to destroy tech. That is what's important to him. Yeah, he is not evil. I love that this show refuses to make villains evil. He's He is just a traumatized person like so many other people on the show. Um, and it's fascinating to see the toll that this world takes playing out in all of these different ways from person to person. Yeah, I mean, like, kudos to the writer for being so steadfast and dedicated to representing this world with so much variety and depth. There are so many different kinds of people, and they all respond to pain in many different kinds of ways. Mm-hmm. And the show doesn't ever phone it in for anybody. No, they – I mean, I think this is really at the heart of the show is – how you deal with pain, how you deal with trauma, and how do you live your life, and what are the choices that you make. How do you move forward? And as Clark says in season three, pain isn't something that you get over. It's something that you you overcome and keep going. Yes. I completely butchered that quote, but the, the point stands that, you it's know. close enough. You can't ever, like, you can't ever, the pain never ends. You can't, es- you can't <laughs> as sad as that sounds. You can't escape it. Yeah. You can only deal with it. Yeah. Um. So Clark and Roan are in the forest, and they meet up with Bellamy and Echo. And Roan asks what they missed, and Echo says nothing. Yeah. So I love this tiny moment here when Echo could have told Roan about Riley, but chooses not to. Yeah, I think we're getting a lot of Echo in this episode, and I don't know exactly what to do with it, but it's it's significant moving forward. I mean, all of the Echo development that we've seen is so much – it's, like, very under the surface. It's never spoken. No. But it just – 
her character still has such depth and there's so much to kind of pull out there. And I, I love that we're able to kind of extrapolate our own, um, uh, extrapolate how she's developing in our own way. Yeah, and Tazia Tellis, the actress who plays Echo, is incredible. She is playing on so many different levels here. She's like she's also incredibly expressive. Yes, but, and like overtly physical, and yet she uses sort of these like very subtle movements to indicate hesitancy and resistance. I don't. I she's great. She is great. Um. And at seeing Roan and Clark together, not, you know, killing each other, Bellamy's like, I, I take it we're not at war. And Roan <laughs> says, not today. <laughs> Unfortunately. Maybe tomorrow, <laughs> not today. <laughs> uh, but then, of course, Clark and Bellamy see smoke in the air and realize it's coming from Arcadia. So they run back to the burning Arcadia. We see Ilian carrying Octavia and Nyla out of the flames. And Bellamy and Clark run over to Octavia, who tells them that Ilian's at the fire. She tried to stop him. She clearly failed. So Clark looks a little bit murderous for a second when she looks over at Ilian. Mm -hmm. It's like she's working so hard to push everyone forward. Everything that she's done this season, including what she had to go through from the list, it's now moot. Yep. All of that work for nothing. And I mean, I think we talked a little bit about this a few minutes ago, but personally, I don't. So I don't think that Ilian made the right decision here, but I also don't blame him or hate him for what he's done. I do not hate him for what he's done. I do blame him. You know, you have to That's take... true. You do have to take responsibility for your actions. He chose to do this. That's it 100% is true. his fault. I understand his motivation. I just... It's something that he's going to have to live with. I mean, I do think... That he still thinks that he did the right thing. Yes, but I think he's going to learn that that wasn't the right thing to do. I mean, maybe this is another way that you shouldn't have kept secrets from people. He didn't know why he shouldn't blow up the Ark. Although, of course, he wouldn't have been on there anyway. Like, he wouldn't have been on the 50-person the no. list that Roan was getting, so... He might not even make it out of this episode. I don't know. It... Out of the next one? Yeah. <laughs> I, what are they going to do with him? I do think that some people are going to be a little angry. I like. Just a little bit. You know, he's just standing there. Like, dude, run for your life. I think this was like the culmination of everything that he wanted. I yeah. think at this point he's like, I have done what I needed to do. And now whatever happens, happens. I, I don't know if he, like, where he sees himself moving forward from here. I don't know where I see him moving forward, forward from here. I don't either. I, I, I'm just. I'm hoping that that's my season, that's my crack ship. I hope he and Octavia get together. I mean, like as much as I crack ship Nyla and Octavia, I'm like 90% certain that Ilian and Octavia are going to have some sort of canoodling. Canoodling. <laughs> I, I think they both have so much pain and they probably could take solace in each other. I don't know if that would be the healthiest, but I do think that there is a way that they could help each other move on. Yeah, I agree. I think that's the only way I see the only future I see for him at this point. I don't know what else is going to happen to him. And my heart still went out to him a little bit when he like came and pick up, picked up Octavia and like carried her out. I was me like, too. No. I was like, you yep. just blew this place up and this is totally your fault, but <laughs> you got I, me. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. <laughs> uh, I loved seeing Clark and Bellamy and Octavia in this like united front here. Like Bellamy is holding Octavia and Clark is holding Octavia's hand. Oh, and it, it was, was just like, it was great. It was such a beautiful picture they were like a family I know they're a little family and they haven't been united in a really long time even when they're all physically together a lot of times I mean like Clark and Bellamy are often on the same side but but um Octavia has been a little bit rougher to get along with <laughs> yeah she's not always 
Clark's biggest fan, but I do like that in this moment of sort of vulnerability and half consciousness, she does depend on her and lean on her. She trusts her. Well, she respects her. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I mean, and I, I think it's fair that she doesn't always trust Clark since Clark like left her to get a bomb dropped on her in season two. Let give her that. bygones be bygones. <laughs> Who cares about that? But it's just this really, the whole scene is this great moving scene. We get to see everyone's reactions as they watch the fire. And and this season moves at a pace where, you know, a lot happens, but we can still take a moment to just breathe. Even though it's like in this point, it's kind of like this scene of despair. It's still allowing us to really soak this all up. Oh, yeah. I love how fast this show moves precisely because it affords us the time and the luxury to take this amount of of space to focus on the the devastation and the significance of what that means yeah so that's the episode yeah that was the very action-packed episode it was very heavy um we should talk about our favorite scenes though we should what was yours (laughs) this was really hard for me there were a lot of great scenes in this episode but I do think that the scene where Raven discovers the rocket, my mind just like exploded. I was so excited. I <laughs> wish I had been here when we watched when you watched this for the first time, because I feel like your eyeballs would have popped out of your head. I think I did a little jig. <laughs> <laughs> this is why you need to be here when you watch things. Yeah, I know. Never leave me again. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, my my favorite scene again also coincides with my favorite line. Um, or my favorite quote, I should say, is is when Bellamy is talking Riley in the woods and he changed his mind. Again, you know, I, I sound like a broken record, but this was such an important scene for Bellamy and I have been waiting for this for so long. And I feel like when when Bellamy first committed the massacre in season three, I said to you, I don't know if I can ever forgive him. I need him to show me that he fully reckon, acknowledges his actions and he's able to process them and and move forward and and gain something positive out of it. And this is exactly what I was talking about. Yeah, I think we've seen all season how he's felt about it, but really seeing it verbalized and, and making it such a concrete idea that like he knows what he did, he regrets it, he doesn't want it to happen to other people. It really was a rewarding it end was like to that arc. Therapy. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it's not really the end to an arc, but it's kind of like the end of one arc and the beginning of another. Exactly. I, I think this was a huge step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You want to do your favorite line? Yeah, it does. My favorite line is when he says to him, you know, war made me a murderer. Don't let it happen to you. Yeah. And I, I just love that he admitted it yeah. out loud. And my favorite line was when Roan was talking to Clark in the cave. And I'm going to read it out, even though it's long. He says, you grieve for Lexa, yet you learned nothing from her. She was tree crew, but she rose above her loyalty to clan. You tell yourself you have two. The great one, Hedda, commander of death, who says she wants to save everyone, yet builds a ship for herself, for her people. And it was just, I mean, again, Clark doesn't have any good options. But I liked seeing someone point this out to her. That, like, you're, you, I know you're trying to overcome your you know, singular loyalty to your people. And I think that you're in some ways succeeding, but you still deep down value your people over everyone else. Yeah. I also, you know, I hadn't thought about it before, but I love the way this show deals with bias Mm -hmm. and, you know, people's like internalized bias. And I just, Clark is such a good person and she tries so hard, but it just shows you that like, no matter how good you are and how well-intentioned you are, you still have to deal with your own personal biases like no matter what 
Yeah, so much of what I love about this show is that I always I feel like I agree with everybody all the time. Exactly. It's like you all are making such valid points. You're all smart. <laughs> I don't know who's right and who's wrong. And Every- some situations, you know, it, you can look at from like 20 different perspectives. It's all great. But that that's something that the show does with such I'm completely out of words because that's how good it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Oh, man. Uh, so next episode is called We Will Rise, which is it an allusion to Second Dawn? It's totally an illusion. There's so many allegories here, and we will unpack those next week. Maybe um, we'll get a bit of Bill. <laughs> maybe we'll get some Bill. Old pal Bill. <laughs> anyway, that is our episode. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can email us at skycastcrew at gmail.com. That's S-K-A-I-C-A-S-T. K-R-U at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at SkyCast. You can find us on Tumblr at skycast.tumblr.com. You can also tweet at us at our own Twitter accounts. I'm at bperlman89. And I'm at Sarah R. McCabe. And thanks for joining us on SkyCast. We will see you next week. Bye.